Thank you. Well, good morning. So I'm Deline, if we haven't met. Um, I've absolutely loved this Kingdom series through the book of Matthew, and I'm really so excited to be just continuing with that today. So over the past weeks, we've had a look at what it means to enter the Kingdom, what it looks like to extend the Kingdom, and now we've been looking at what it is to experience this Kingdom, this now and not yet reality of the reign of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. Um, We'll be in Matthew 18, verse 1 to 6. If you want to find it, it will be on the screen as well. Um, It's a passage reminding us that part of our kingdom experience is taking on the demeanor of our humble King Jesus and learning to live with humility ourselves. So we want to look at two things. We're answering two questions like, what is humility? So we want to understand what humility is. What even is that? And then what does it look like? in our lives. So, sounds quite simple. What is humility? How do we display it? But I want to just throw out a few caveats, um, a few things that perhaps complicate this humility thing. Because it's possible you're thinking, oh, hang on, <laughs> humility is not that simple. Because how does, how does our humility, which perhaps we think of as a kind of holy reticence, How does that advance the kingdom and change the world, which is really front-footed, right? So how does something meek and mild blaze a trail and change the world? Like there seems to be a a dissonance there. It's also possible you're thinking, no, humility is really not that simple because, um, of course, humility is this elusive attribute. The moment you think you've attained it, you've lost it, right? So the the moment you start thinking, you know what, like I'm actually really humble, (laughs) like you're no longer humble. Okay, so, so we almost want to avoid thinking about it so that maybe, you know, we'll just end up being quite humble without even realizing it. So it's kind of tricky, but it, it's also such a crucial element of our Christ-likeness and how we bring the kingdom to Reading and beyond. So we absolutely need to talk about it and focus on it and repent of all the ways that we're not humble. Okay, so I think we'll, we'll all agree none of us will ever achieve perfect humility in this life. But that cannot stop us from talking about it. Okay, does that sound all right? Um, Let me throw out another complexity. To understand humility, we need to understand its antithesis, which is, of course, pride. Uh, Peter and James both quote Proverbs 3 when they say to us, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So again, we absolutely must run hard after humility because we need his grace, which is both pardon and power, right? Uh, By his grace, we're forgiven, that's pardon. And by his grace, we're able to live with the resurrection power of our Redeemer. So if we want more of God's grace, and I desperately do, then we have to be found humble, right? Because we're told God opposes the proud. We don't want to be in that place, but he pours out his grace on the humble. Um, So just so you know, I'm kind of the poster child for type A personalities. Um, I'm quite ambitious. Uh, I'm a three on the Enneagram, if that means anything to you. Um, I mean, some people say I'm uh, self-centered, but that's enough about them. Um, No, so so pride has, has been the struggle of my life. Um, But I would hazard a guess, respectfully, that pride has been the struggle of your life too. Um, Because you know this, pride was the original sin that gave birth to all the other sins. 
Um, it was pride that had Satan thinking he knew better than God. Pride that had Adam and Eve thinking that their way was better. They wanted to be on equal footing with God, even feeling superior to God. And I know it sounds dramatic to perhaps pin everything on pride, like is pride really the, the deepest, oldest, original sin? Um, but interestingly, Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, many others would say, oh, we, we pretty much can pin everything on pride if we understand the sin of pride to mean contempt for God, right? Um, so if you think of the, the besetting sins that you struggle with, and we all have our stuff, don't we, right? So you know, the, the, the sin that, that periodically, regularly um, trips you up, you know, whether it's anger or jealousy or lust or gluttony or gossip or, you know, fill in the blank. Every sin, if we dig down deep enough into our heart of hearts, and it's painful to do this, every sin is rooted in these kinds of thoughts. Like, you know, I know God has said that, but, but I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. Uh, you know, my way is better. I'm better than these people or that person. Uh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm above that. You know, I, I don't want to do things God's way. I want to do things my way. Or we think, you know, well, I know God said this is bad. It's really not as bad as what God said it is. So, so pretty much every time I choose or you choose to do something we know we shouldn't or to not do something we know we should, we're holding God in contempt. Right? Jesus is no longer on the throne. We've put ourselves on the throne. We're not living for God's agenda in those moments. We're living for our agenda, which is a pretty prideful move. Not so. Um, or maybe if we, we dig down into our motives, we don't find arrogance, conceit, you know, superiority, self-importance, self-righteousness. Maybe instead we find insecurity, self-loathing, self-deprecation which, I hate to tell you, is just another form of pride, right? C.S. Lewis famously said something along the lines of pride isn't thinking more of yourself or less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? It's just not thinking of yourself, it's thinking of God, it's thinking of others, right? So, so this is another layer of complexity, and, and just stay with me, Jesus is about to really simplify things in our, our Matthew passage, um, but we don't think of someone with, with really low self-esteem as being prideful, right? We'd probably be more inclined to think of that person as humble. But if I'm walking around excruciatingly self-conscious, and, and we've all been there, or if I'm kind of obsessed with how pathetic I am, you know, if I'm um, feeling like the universe is against me and I'm so hard done by and I've got this victim mindset, all that shows is that I'm pretty fixated on me, Right? It's just another form of, of toxic navel-gazing. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I mean, if we think of Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't wander around earth when he was here going like, oh, like I'm so pathetic, I'm such a loser, like I'm probably not even the son of God. Um, no, he didn't, he didn't do that. He knew who he was, and he lived it confidently. Yet he was never arrogant, you know, he never said to his disciples, oh, I'm sorry, oh, you should totally be washing my feet. Like, do you know who I am, right? So he didn't self-flagellate. He didn't beat himself up. He didn't self-congratulate. He never boasted. He just didn't think of himself at all. He thought of others. Like, it's extraordinary. It's astonishing. It was that humility that made Jesus 
irresistible. Um, just another quick clarification so we can simplify this thing. Um, humility is not the same as humiliation. Right? God will humble you. Satan will humiliate you. God convicts, Satan condemns. Right, so humility is like when you go to the physio um, and she digs a thumb or her elbow into the knots in your back and it is properly sore. Like it's really painful, but it's kind of a, a good kind of sore. Like you know that the pain is going to bring healing and release and relief. Okay, you're kind of grateful for the pain. Humiliation is like when you're stabbed. Okay, it's a pain that's designed to take you out, take you down, destroy you. So humiliation is when you are shamed, stripped of dignity, embarrassed. Right? Jesus was shamed, stripped of dignity, embarrassed, on the cross, naked. Right? Uh, Jesus willingly was stripped of his dignity to restore ours. Right? Um, last complexity before we get to the passage. Things also get kind of murky when we talk about pride because, um, for example, I'm so proud of my husband, of my boys, like who they are, what they've done. Um, and that kind of pride is, is not necessarily sinful. It's so wrapped up in just, our, uh, you know, my love for them, my delight in them, okay? Uh, I mean, if you're a parent in the room, put up your hand if you're proud of your kids. Yeah. Come on, of course, right? Um, so that kind of pride is just like our enjoyment of those we love and celebrate, right? But it can be sinful, <laughs> right? If, if I'm kind of, you know, humble bragging about how marvelous my kids are because also did you know I'm actually an incredible mother, like I'm so hashtag blessed. And, and often, like, no one else will know if there's pride lurking in your heart, but, but we need to just ask God to show us our motives, show us our hearts in those, in those moments. So again, this thing can be... A little bit complex, but so I'm just, I'm just laying this all out because our understanding of humility and an application of humility in our lives can feel quite complex. But thankfully, Jesus makes it really simple, and that gives me hope that we can also actually make it quite simple too. So let's look at Matthew 18, verse 1 to 6. Can you read it if I'm standing here? Is it good? Um, all right, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I mean, that is a sobering warning, okay? But it just shows Jesus' love, his passionate commitment to the least of these. And it's like he's saying, stop taking yourself so seriously. Take me, take my word very seriously indeed. All right, I will not be mocked. This is a big deal, right? And if we've grown up around church, you know, we know this scripture, we're used to Jesus saying things like this. But to Jesus' first century audience, this was radical, countercultural, counterintuitive, upside down stuff. Like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, oh the humble, the childlike. <laughs> Right? What? It's, it's very possible Jesus' disciples were thinking, like, but, but hang on, like, children are, are just property. 
you know, like, like slaves and dogs and women. And Jesus was going, oh, I'm, I'm building a very different kind of kingdom, all right? Um, Jesus was also not saying that we should all regress into literal childhood, okay? Just before this passage in Matthew 17, Jesus is paying tax and telling us to do the same, okay? I mean, that is proper adulting. It does not get more grown up than paying tax. So when he tells us to be like little children, he's not being naive or delusional, but he's calling us to a, a heart posture, right, of total trust and dependence and not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think because really we're not thinking of ourselves at all. We're thinking of him. We're thinking of others. Um, so we're looking to Jesus to answer these questions. What is humility exactly? What does it look like in our lives? And Jesus points to a child. Um, he says, oh, you want to be great in the kingdom of God. Uh, do you want to really experience the kingdom? Turn from your sins and be like this little kid. Right? So I'm thinking, okay, if I need to become more like a child, what are children like? Right? Um, what do kids typically do? What makes them so childlike? Um, children play games, all kinds of games. They never get tired of playing. So I want to suggest we start playing the humble games, okay? And it's quite cheesy, but maybe you'll remember it, right? <laughs> Obviously not the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games, something completely different, something very scary. Um, the Hunger Games is what you play if you live with teenagers in your house because they are perpetually hungry. Um, but children play games, and, and you'll recognize some of these games because you played them as a kid. Um, some of them I've made up. Um, but these kids' games will perhaps help us to get our heads around what is humility and what does it look like in our lives. And maybe just one of these games, one of these analogies, will help you to position yourself differently. Right, to just adjust your attitudes or your actions when it comes to experiencing and displaying this kingdom humility. All right, so, so first of all, we have piggy in the middle. All right, and when it comes to humility, in the middle is a good place to be. Okay, you want to be the piggy in the middle between the extremes of pride on either side, okay, because we want to attract people to Jesus right? And arrogance is so attractive, said no one ever. <laughs> Self-pity is so attractive, said no one ever, all right? We want to be in the middle as Jesus follows. We want to land this thing dead center. I'm not the king of the castle. I'm also not the dirty rascal, right? You're the humble, startling, countercultural piggy in the middle, right? You occupy this beautiful, both and hybrid space of you bow low because you're an object of mercy and yet you walk tall because you're a child of the king. Okay, so with Piggy in the middle, we're thinking humility is this happy, uncomplicated space between the pride extremes of arrogance and self-pity. Okay, so you can hold on to that analogy. Maybe that's helpful. Our second game, tag, you're it. This gives us a different way of thinking about humility. In this game, we're on the edges. We're on the periphery, okay? Um, and it's kind of like we're, we're touching Jesus and we're saying, tag, you're it. Like you, you are it, Jesus, okay? Um, you know, you're the center of attention. You're the real deal. All eyes on you. It's all about you. And it's actually such a relief, such a relief that it's not about us. 
Okay, it's, it's us going, he must increase, we must decrease, right? John 3 verse 30. So playing tag with Jesus reminds me Jesus is at the center. He's the main character. I'm just a peripheral character in the story, a beloved character, make no mistake. But he's where the action is, Amen. right? Um, so I'm really proud to be South African. I think that's okay. I think my pride is in a non-sinful space, Okay. Um, I was particularly proud a few weeks ago when we ran, okay, you know, when we won the Rugby World Cup. Um, it had nothing to do with me, mind you. I did not play, um, you know, but I was just delighted that we won. Um, but I feel so proud of our Springbok captain, Sia Kulisi, um, in the sense that I'm so filled with admiration for him. And ironically, the reason I like him and respect him so much is because he is so humble. Right, and I, and I know this is true of you too. The people you admire most are humble, okay? Because humility is irresistible. Um, but Sia, he just deflects all the glory away from himself, right? He, I mean, he held on to that Webb Ellis Cup for a little bit, okay, as they all did. Um, but anytime somebody hands him some glory, he immediately passes it, backwards, of course, um, you know, to, to Jesus Christ, to his teammates, to his nation, um, and it's extraordinary. It, it what, it's what makes him irresistible to a whole country, to a watching world. Uh, Sia tags Jesus every time, like, you're it. He doesn't hang on to the glory. He just passes the glory every time. And there's nothing meek and mild about Sia Kulisi, right? He is powerfully advancing the kingdom with his humility. Okay, he has another game we'll call Race You to the Bottom, and I think Andy Stanley coined this phrase, it's not mine. Um, but that's us playing the polite wars, right? You first. No, 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 you first, you know? Um, and uh, it's, it's us aiming low, allowing others to enjoy a better seat at the table, leveraging all we are to see others become all that God made them to be. And it's uniquely kingdom. You don't see this in the world. Uh, the church we were part of in South Africa, um, you, we used to meet in a big tent, and then we eventually built a building. And churches from all over the country gave our church money towards that building. Uh, another mega church in the city, uh, so on a totally secular level, they would have been seen as like a rival church. They, a team of their guys arrived at our church one day with a brick um, that they had somehow chopped out of their church building, and they said, um, we want you to just build this brick into your building, just any, any old wall, just put it in there, it's not a magic brick. Um, but they said, this is just us saying, like, we love you guys, we are for you, we are praying for you, we are cheering for you, we are so excited for what God is doing here, we are serving the same king, and we are building the same kingdom. Like, it's just, it's staggering, it's extraordinary, right? It's what we're doing tonight at the Globe Church, churches across the town, right? Um, I mean, imagine Pepsi was building a new factory and Coke came to them and said, oh, guys, we just love you and we just want to give you money to build an even bigger factory because we just want to bless the world with even more sweet black fizzy drinks. Um, the kingdoms of the world don't operate like that, okay? Jesus said, I'm building a different kingdom. It's upside down, it's extraordinary, it's astonishing, it's irresistible. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know that this kingdom of God that, that we get to be part of, it's the only organization, for want of a better word, in the world, in the universe, that comes with that guarantee 
Right? Like it, it cannot go bankrupt. It cannot be bought out by a multinational company. Its shares cannot plummet on the stock market. Okay? It's being built by the king of the universe, and he's building it from the ground up using tiny, little, humble people like us. And the world looks at us happily, cheerfully, aiming low so as to lift others up. And they go, Yo, these guys are different. They're doing something powerful. There's something powerful going on here. Um, you could also call this humble game, first one to the cross wins, right? First one to forgive, winner. First one to remember how much they've been forgiven, that person's the winner. And you could play this game today um, after church at the community lunch or at home. Uh, you know, first one to clear all the plates is the winner of this game. You know, it's just asking yourself, what, what would an outward-looking, others-focused, extraordinary, irresistible person do? Um, how's this for a, a humble game challenge? You can also try this this afternoon. You, you take your dirty coffee mug into the kitchen um, and you're going to put it in the dishwasher and then you realize the dishwasher has already run and it's full of clean dishes. Now, do you put your coffee mug down and walk away or do you unpack the dishwasher? <laughs> because that would be extraordinary. Um, <laughs> it would make you irresistible, okay? If you have won the game, hands down. All right. If, if we were Puritans in the late 16th century, we would call this game dying to self. Right? Jesus spoke about you know, dying to yourself. Um, so just get a load of this. We're going to put it on the screen because it's very wordy. And it's, it's a lot to chew on. Um, but this is an explanation of the rules of the game written by a particularly hardcore Puritan. Um, and, and the language is, is a little archaic, but it's beautiful and, and terrifyingly convicting nonetheless. When you are neglected or purposely set at naught and you sting and hurt from the insult and the oversight, but your heart is happy because you count it worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, Yet you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself. You take it all in patient, loving silence. That is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, or any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste and folly and extravagance and spiritual insensitivity and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you're content with any food, any offering, any clothes, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you can never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after commendation, when you can love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see your brother prosper and have his needs met, and honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy, nor question God, while your own needs are far greater and unmet, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising in your heart, that is dying to self. Yay! <laughs> so easy, right, to achieve humility. 
Um, Paul actually says something very similar in Philippians 2, and Eugene Peterson gives us this incredible rendition in the message um, of Philippians 2. And, and I really believe, I think if every Christian on planet Earth really took this on board and we lived like this, I think we would change the world within a month. Like, I'm not even exaggerating, okay? Because humility is such an invitation for God to do extraordinary things. So this is how to play dying to self or race you to the bottom or first one to the cross wins according to Philippians 2, verse 1 to 4. Uh, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ... If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Beautiful. Okay, fourthly, we can play at heroes. We can play hero, hero, all right? Um, A hero is someone who has the courage to do the right thing at the right time in the right way, and that takes humility, right? Because you're not doing the popular thing when it suits you to make yourself look good, right? Um, And note that this humble game is not called superheroes because we're not superheroes, um, I've read an account of Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight boxer, um, not necessarily known for his modesty. Um, and he was flying somewhere, and it was during takeoff or landing, I can't remember which, the captain came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts. And, you know, the lights came on, and Muhammad Ali refused to fasten his seatbelt. So a flight attendant approached him and said, please, sir, you really need to... Um, fasten your seatbelt, and Muhammad Ali said to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt, to which the flight attendant replied, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) So, you know, let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. All right, we're we're not superheroes. Um, We're just ordinary people called to be conduits of our extraordinary God. I mean, think of that hourglass image that Andy showed us, right? Kingdom in, kingdom out. Like, limited us. I mean, we're so limited. We start here, we stop at the bottom of our feet. We are very, very limited. Limited us, somehow miraculously used by a limitless God. It's just extraordinary. Lastly, there's the humble game of hide and seek. Um, We play this game by hiding away in the presence of the Father, often regularly, and we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Um, And can I just encourage you, if you are feeling um, overlooked, forgotten, not taken seriously in some way, and, and you're smarting from the oversight, you're longing for some kind of recognition, can I just say that it is a glorious thing to be hidden because you live Beneath the unblinking gaze of God, he watches you every moment. You are never hidden from his sight. And and if or when God sees fit to take the lid off your life and display you to the world, that will be glorious to his glory, not yours. Right? And in the meantime, Proverbs 27 tells us, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. Um, It's what Peter's talking about when he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Um, The word of the Lord comes to Baruch in um, Jeremiah 
45 verse 5 through, through Jeremiah, um, God says to Baruch, uh, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Okay, so, so what should I seek? Well, my kingdom, says Jesus, my righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. Okay, so maybe um, one of these games really resonated with you. And you perhaps need to start playing that game um, in your marriage, with your kids, at work, in your life group, um, in your street, with your neighbors. All right? Because Jesus said if we want to bring the kingdom, if we want to experience the kingdom and be great in the kingdom, we need to be like children. So, so just a few more things about children. Like why do we love kids so much? I mean, for, for a number of us in the room, um, we had a baby. Uh, that baby caused us pain. That baby prevented us from sleeping. That baby was expensive and exasperating at times. Um, and so we had another one. <laughs> you know, and maybe even another. I mean, what is up with that, right? What is it about kids that makes them so irresistible? Um, and what is it that Jesus was getting at when he pointed to kids and said, they've got this kingdom thing going on. Watch them. So first of all, kids see things differently. Uh, they're closer to the ground, right? So they, their perspective is different. They're able to reframe things. I remember when our youngest, Scotty, was, uh, he was very little. He was like three or four. And he licked his knife, you know, the peanut butter off his knife at the kitchen table. And so I said, Scotty, don't lick your knife. And he said, I'm not licking my knife. I'm cleaning it with my tongue. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. You know, he, he quickly reframed the situation. But, but seriously, humility helps us to reframe things. It helps us to see all the ways that we can bring God's kingdom. If we approached every relationship, every choice with a close-to-the-ground posture of humility, how differently might we express ourselves? Um, shortly after the completion of Disney World, someone said to Mike Vance, who was the director of Disney Studios, um, they said, oh, isn't it just too bad that Walt Disney didn't live to see this? And Vance replied, he did see it. That's why it's here. So let's ask God for the vision and the humility to reframe the world around us so that we can see all the ways God could build his kingdom through us, whether or not we live to see the fulfillment of what we're building towards. Secondly, kids are forgetful. All right, they forget their lunch boxes at school. They forget to brush their teeth, right? Um, and there's a, a self-forgetfulness to kids as well, right? They'll, you know, you'll say, get dressed, and then they'll start playing, and then they'll wander out without their shorts on, you know, because they've just, they're not away, all right? Um, as children in the kingdom of God, let's forget ourselves a little bit. I mean, be considerate to those around you and don't forget important things like your trousers, okay? But, but we, can, we can forget ourselves a little bit more, I think. And, and part of the forgetfulness of kids is that they forgive so quickly, don't they? Um, like when I've lost my temper with my boys and I've had to eat humble pie and apologize and ask their forgiveness, they are so quick to forgive me. All right, so short accounts, traveling lights, not hanging on to grudges. These are all beautiful expressions of humility. Amen. And then lastly, kids are enthusiastic, right? They're energetic. There's a levity to childhood, right? Um, kids haven't lost their sense of wonder, and it's what makes them irresistible to us. And our word enthusiastic 
actually comes from the Greek entheos, meaning God within or full of God. Friends, humility is enthusiastic because when we're full of God, there's no space for our petty, pitiable self-obsession, right? There's an energy to humility. It's cheerful and outward-looking, and it's happy to embrace the adventure of the moment the way a kid would, right? And, And being enthusiastic doesn't mean you have to try and pray the loudest at the prayer meeting. It doesn't mean we all have to be extroverts, okay? Within the beautiful parameters of your temperament, you can be profoundly, authentically enthusiastic, full of God, humble, right? And if you've, if you've lost your sense of wonder, if you've lost your, your childlikeness, ask God to restore it. Like, I know he will, okay? I mean, adulting is hard, I get it. Your rent, your mortgage repayment, those things are real and they're not going away. Uh, and maybe that's actually the least of your worries. You are facing something far more terrifying, and, and I know that some of you are. But I really believe, guys, I really believe that even in the darkest night of the soul, we can know a deep sense of wonder. And Paul explains why in, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So again, how how upside down is this kingdom of God? On the inside, our spirits, we're actually growing younger and younger as we become more and more like Jesus. Friends, let's be great. Yes, younger and younger on the inside. Um, Let's be great in the kingdom of God. Let's be great. Let's take Jesus at his word and become like little children. And may God grow in us individually, in our families, in this community, this local expression of his body, a fresh, startling, wondrous, enthusiastic, irresistible, extraordinary, childlike, mountain-threshing humility that ushers in the kingdom.